0: Throw threw away all our gold in the river, these lunatics. If you're seeding Louisiana and we're seeding Louisiana, then who's driving the plane?
1: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Unbelievable... I am head of research for Project Acoustic Kitty, Kurt Danner, joined here by the man who was obsessed with the Roman Empire way before it was cool, Luis Mejia. Hello. And on this podcast, folks, we are still having a little bit too much fun. Luis and I are not ready to take back over yet. We're just too busy kicking back listening to some stories from our guest hosts. So we've got another guest host for you today. And this guest host is one of the many people who, Luis, I'm sure you have a lot of people in your life like this, too, have helped refine this podcast and also given input on the stories so whether you know it or not you've probably heard some of her work before i think uh anything from new orleans probably she had some input on especially the story of a Germain and the lumiere brothers but without further ado our guest host Chegio.
2: hi uh thank you guys so much for having me hi Happy shay. to be here sup luis
1: <laughs> shay i'm glad you finally
0: get you get to join just this experience that is uh hopefully fun for you
2: <laughs> i mean i do really i get a lot of joy out of lying to people mm. it's like close to home so i think i, I think yeah. i'll have fun lying to you guys
1: perfect and shay knows us from the time we lived together true. some it's some true. may say the golden age of Luis and i's friendship so it's true she knows us very well she's definitely been hearing us lying to her and lying to us for a long yeah. time yeah
2: yeah i remember the the first day that we had met i actually totally thought you guys were dating and in love whenever i went to hang out at your house i miss those days the
0: crazy part is that we were indeed in love and still are some would say
1: we still are in love we are in love and in hate at the same time it's a beautiful yin and yang
0: it's a perfect balance seriously <laughs> yeah well with that g- gorgeous love hate relationship that uh you've put in display Shay, that i'm glad you've been a part of for these last couple of years
1: mm, a spectator too yeah
0: that's true and much like you've been a spectator to our love story today we will get to be spectators to the stories you'll tell us today so let's go ahead and get started. Shay are you ready?
2: I absolutely am not ready.
0: <laughs> well that's a good thing Shay because we never are either whenever we record this show but we still do it anyway so we're gonna go ahead and move <laughs> forward with it but before we do Shay as you may or may not be familiar we do have a quick little fun fact for you since you'll be taking over the stories for mm-hmm. today oh my. and you know since Kurt and I will both be listening into your stories we both have a Uh, A couple of quick facts. We're going to do, let's say, a condensed
1: version of this podcast just
0: for you, Shay. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. I love it. I'm
1: ready. We're, yeah, we're stepping up the difficulty here a little bit. Luis, I think you know this, but Shay is pretty good at quizzes. I don't know if you remember from the same, a major main story, the Mardi Gras crew quiz. Shay, Shay got all of those right. No problem. She knows well about the Knights of Momus. Okay. So this is, this is going to be four options you have to choose from here. We're going to give you four pieces of information. (laughs) Two of them will be true and two of them will be false. And uh, the theme here is going to be things that occurred in the time when Luis and I lived together. okay? Okay is number one. All right. When Luis and I lived together, we did, in fact, identify and name three of the rats in our basement. Jerry, Ricardo, and Sextus Pompey.
2: False.
1: No, wait, wait. wait. Hold on, hold on. False. No, no, no. So, wait till the so end.
2: I already know it's false. No, no, no. Shay, wait <laughs> I already till the know end. it's false. She's
1: a killer.
0: <laughs> all right. Sweet. Well, all, let's, let's move on. The next thing we did whenever Kurt and I lived together, we actually had a running tally of every single time that one of the roommates, which we lived with uh, two other people had an let's say erotic dream mm. that involved in one way or another a former president of the united states mm. and the tally was not at
1: zero and that's all we'll say
2: so far i feel as if it's true i'm interested to
1: hear the other two. Oh, now you're ready to to wait till the end
2: okay fine true i the first one's definitely <laughs> false because one of you didn't know sexy pompey that was one of the stories. I'm a fan. <laughs> I listened to the podcast.
1: <laughs> all right, number three. One of the first things we did when we moved in was christen the apartment by throwing kitchen knives at Luis's door. Mm-hmm. And by the way, just so you know, this wasn't one of the many hate crimes that took place against Luis in the apartment. When okay. I say we, I mean Luis included. He also threw.
0: Yeah, no, knives we
1: we, we all door. threw knives at my door. Well-
2: could it be like an internalized hate crime for him? Is that like a thing? Like Heather's internalized homophobia?
1: Oh, that's true. You were institutionalized from the first day we I moved in. I was a in. Mexican
0: citizen living in the U.S., Shay. We, one can only imagine.
2: <laughs> oh, poor baby. <laughs> uh,
0: now, the last one. Uh, on. So we gave you a fact about the first day in the apartment. So uh, uh, one of the things that happened on the very last day of us living in the apartment is that it, in a celebratory manner celebrating the fact that we had survived a couple of years together, Mm. uh, we threw a Blu-ray box set of 1966's Batman uh, TV series into the roof of our apartment building.
1: It was a fitting celebration.
0: That, to this day, might, might still be there.
2: May I ask a clarifying question? Go ahead. Was this just you and Kurt or the entire roommate group with this Batman endeavor?
0: That is not something we can disclose, (laughs) as we think will give away too much.
2: Okay, I'm going to continue with my heart which told me the rat story, false. Um, I'm also going to say it's tricky because the knife one is so not specific. And the Batman one is specific, <laughs> and I feel like the reason that you don't want to tell me if other people were there or not is because you may have moved out at a staggered pace, and you may or may not know that I know that. So it's like extra tricky. I'm gonna go. Okay. I'm gonna go. Very interesting. I'm gonna go knives false as well.
1: All right. Well, you got it halfway. There Damn were it's... no rats, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I really wish. Uh, had we, had we did have rats, rats in the
0: apartment, and they did have names. That's true. Uh, there, there uh, these these rats uh, occupied Kurt's room before he was there. For a brief Aww. window of time. Um, <laughs> they did have names. Oh, the but tenets. you're right, Sextus Pompey was a name that Kurt did not know prior to this podcast.
2: I ain't no rookie.
1: So. We did, in fact, christen the apartment by throwing knives Mm -hmm. uh, at Luis's door. However, we did not have a tally of erotic dreams about presidents. Mm. Although that's not to say that we didn't have any. We just didn't have that tally. (laughs) Unclear if we had any. Still still
0: yet to confirm that fact. Uh, And yes, to this day, there's the potential that there is an entire Blu-ray box set of the 1966 Batman animated uh, Batman TV series featuring Adam West still on the roof of our apartment in north side chicago up for grabs
2: incredible danny devito's penguin gorgeous
1: <laughs> not the same one but we'll take it <laughs> on that note shay do you have a couple stories for us maybe true I perchance absolutely false
2: do you have a couple of stories for you guys i'm kind of i'm kind of doing this thing where i copy luis oh. he always loves to tell stories about mexico about where he's from
0: Oh no.
2: I'm gonna tell <laughs> You're
0: telling stories about Mexico too?
2: I'm telling stories about Louisiana. No, about oh. where I'm from. I'm telling <laughs> Louisiana cool. stories. I'm telling really like greater New Orleans area stories. Mm-hmm. But other other parts of Louisiana come and go. Um so we're we're taking it down to the southeast today. Ooh. So I'm just gonna get right into it. Yeah. Little background info. For the boys at home, just to just to have some dates in our heads, so we can like kind of move with the story, knowing who owns Louisiana at what points, because it kind of got passed around a lot uh, as a colonial territory. Um, Louisiana was founded as a French colony in 1699, but New Orleans was not founded until 1718 uh, as the territory's capital, and then the colony was ceded to Spain in 1762. Bad move. So Spain owns it. Spain always yeah. gets
1: ceded to. That's ridiculous.
2: They haven't owned it for very long yet. So right now, Spain is holding Louisiana where we start our story. And what we are starting our story with is a little guy named Jean-Bernard Xavier Philippe de Marigny de Mandeville. Ooh. Who, that's a really long name. Can
0: we have a longer name?
2: Can any of you repeat it for me?
0: Ooh. <laughs> uh, Jean-Baptiste. <laughs> Uh, the lad. Uh, eh. No.
2: Yeah, he is. He's gonna be commonly known as Bernard de Marini, so that's what we're gonna call him from now on. He was born in 1785. Out
1: of all those names, they picked Bernard.
2: Bernard's a good name. With Everyone a with loves with, with a French
0: accent too. Bernard.
1: Bernard.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, our little our little friend, Bernard, was born in 1785. Good To, we got some more long names coming. Oh, yeah. To Pierre-Philippe de Marigny de Mandeville.
1: Okay. Nice. As
2: well as his wife, Jean-Marie d'Estrehan de Beaupierre. Ooh and uh, these are two very very important people in colonial louisiana his father pierre uh, was super wealthy landowning plantation man who uh, had previously been a military commander that spain kept hiring because he was already in the region of louisiana and like knew everything
1: he got seated to spain too
2: So yeah, exactly. He Even though he's French and the colony is Spanish, he still holds a lot of influence and power and Spanish connections. Mm. He also happens to be of French royalty, like blood-wise. So like oh. people cared about that back then, I guess. And of course his mother, uh, I think her father was like the treasurer of the colony. So that was also just like a, this is an important guy. He's got these family connections.
1: Mm-hmm. He's a big man around town. I'm
2: telling you, I'm telling you, man. And the life that they lived really, really showed it. A fun little throwaway story was in 98, and 1798, whenever the kid was maybe like 12, when Bernard was like 12 or whatever. Uh, Louis Philippe, the Duke of Orléans, who became later King Louis Philippe in 1830, King uh, Louis of Louisiana, of the, the Louis in Louisiana.
1: The, the uh, Louis. And his- <laughs> Old man Louis. <laughs>
2: and uh, his two brothers, two different counts, came to visit Louisiana and stayed at the Marigny Plantation with his family. Mm. Um, And by all accounts, they were very lavishly entertained. And they came here, by the way, to borrow money from this guy. Like, this guy is so... Nice. rolling in cash mr Pierre de Marini that the literal king of France shows up to be like can I have some of this perhaps
1: that's ridiculous that's kind of awesome
2: and uh, they have a great time uh, one story recounts that special gold dinnerware was made for the occasion of the Duke of Orleans visit and uh, was thrown into the river afterwards oh because they God. said it would never be worthy of being used again <laughs> so they've got money they're throwing it at the soon- to-be king of France' they're Throwing it into the river in the form of like golden forks, I guess.
0: Man, but quick, quick side note: if you if you hate the French and the rich, this story (laughs) is for you.
1: You know, (laughs) speaking of of Luis always talking about Mexico, it just has me thinking. Like the beginning of Europeans arriving on this continent is like, you think killing everyone might get us a little more gold? And now, like not even that much later, they're like, yeah, we made these gold forks, throw them in the river. Yeah, guys, (laughs)
0: we didn't even want it, guys. Yikes. Sorry, uh, Sakura blue.
2: Sakura gold. <laughs> so. That was cool. They're living it up. They're having a good time. But you know, like, oop, bummer alert. Year 1800 hits and Papa Pierre is dead. He dies. Oh no. Oh, yeah, no. it's it's a bummer. <laughs> and this is leaving 15 year old Bernard as one of the wealthiest men in the entire world. Oh, God. He is like, like oh, it is yeah. an insane amount of money. This kid is rolling in it. And like, that would be cool if you weren't grappling with like the death of your father. His mom had already died, but it didn't really say anything about how so orphan
1: well she didn't have
0: any money so (laughs) yeah so so she doesn't get (laughs) mentioned in this story sorry guys
2: so true boo women's rights boo women (laughs) but yeah so like it would be cool
0: to
1: Cut be like out. suddenly Cut.
2: the richest kid on the planet <laughs> however because he now has no parents and is 15 he becomes the ward of his father's cousin Ignostelino Delino Chalmette, who was Ooh. shocked and repulsed by sorry I'm
1: just stuck mm, on Ignace, Delino, Ignace Delino you say that man's name three times in your living room and the furniture starts floating that's insane <laughs> your dog starts speaking Latin it's
2: pretty crazy and these are big names you guys may not know this but Shalmet is there have at least been like three places already named in these like last names that are just like neighborhoods or parts of Louisiana now. Oh. Like these people are so important. Things are getting named after them left in, right? And you guys don't even, you don't even know how crazy that is. It's wild. Yeah,
1: no, I was, I was noticing that too, because I recognize the name. I keep, I keep having the urge to be like, that's a fake name. It's taken from this place, Louisiana. But I'm like, oh wait, all oh, these people are richer than God. Shay,
0: I <laughs> don't know these places. So to me, I just trust you.
2: Loser. i don't mean that i'm sorry i lash out i lashed out it's a common
1: theme for Luis's life (laughs) hello i'm scared and helpless (laughs) It was a kick in the teeth
2: (laughs) oh no well anyway cousin ignace he was shocked and repulsed by bernard's entitlement his crudeness and the way he just like this man would light his cigars with a hundred dollar bills like this lack of care for anything. Now that's at all. how
1: you be fifteen-year-old nobility. Yeah,
2: he's that, you know, fifteen, is true. man.
1: <laughs> like, come on. <laughs>
2: But so Ignace decides that this kid needs to learn some manners. He first sends him to like military academy in Pensacola, Florida, where uh, our good old friend learns how to speak English because obviously he was speaking French before. And then after that, cousin Ignace sends him to London so that he can learn some manners. He does not do very well in London. He returns very shortly, like after like three or four months. And the only thing he learned was a dice game for Gamble in England known as Hazard, nice. DeMarini changed nice. some rules up. He streamlined it, creating and then popularizing the game of craps.
1: Oh hey. yes. Entrepreneur Our boy
2: made the whole game, which is just a fun little fun little throwaway fact. Because he was bored. Mr Man. <laughs>
1: There is someone you gotta respect about, you know, someone who's just a, just a rascal, just a, a wriggling around, and they get sent away to, to cease the wriggling, and they just wriggle harder <laughs> till it works. Like, you know, he just said, more rascal behavior. That's true. Whatever, I'll commercialize the rascal behavior. Sounds like
0: me going to university in the U.S., frankly. My parents thought they would call me down. Cannot. Got more deranged.
2: Cannot, will not. But yeah, he went to London to learn manners, came back with a gambling addiction. Oops.
0: Woo! Tee-hee. That's pretty fancy. All the cool kids have one. Uh,
2: and you know, around this time, still 1800, father died, and like went to London, came back. Napoleon is out and about in Europe. Oh, jeez. And wanting all of Europe, and he was thinking a little bit bigger than Europe. He remembered that he used to have some land over in the U.S. and then he lost it. Then mm. Napoleon decided that he wanted Louisiana again. He said to Spain, "Give me Louisiana again." And Spain said, "Okay."
1: <laughs> Spain said, "We'll see. <laughs> we'll. You know what? We were seated too. So be it. We'll Fair see." Fair enough.
2: Fair enough. It's yours. Take it. We didn't even want it anyway. We didn't even. They all speak French over there. They're losers. We we they hate threw them. away
0: all our gold in the river. These lunatics. If you're seating Louisiana and we're seating Louisiana, then who's driving the plane? <laughs> (laughs)
2: um but so louisiana french again 1800 and the prefect that napoleon appointed for the territory somehow came to reside in the Marini estate and something whenever i say the Marini estate so his last name is de Marini, but he does he has a plantation that's also called Marini. okay Mm. so like this is a specific location amongst many of his lands so uh and this is in like kind of where the city new orleans proper is currently uh, in modern day. Um, so the prefect comes to reside in the Marini estate as a guest of Bernard, so he weaseled his way into high standing with the new government pretty immediately just immediately the most powerful political figure lives upstairs. At
0: what? At 17 nice. years
1: old? And
2: 15 year old wealthy yeah, man. He, he's still 15. It's 1800. Oh, he, not a year has oh, passed since geez. his father's death. He was sent to London. He comes back.
1: He's doing this in between playing craps.
2: <laughs> he's on autopilot with the, with the political stuff. It's just working out for him. He's
1: not even interested in this. It's just to pay his gambling debt. The
0: cigar he lit with a $100 bill is still lit.
2: Speaking of things he's doing to pay his gambling debt he also <laughs> already super rich marries even wealthier yeah the daughter of another super
1: super wealthy merchant how is that even possible he was from the family that the king of Spain is like can I have a little advance please and he married up
2: what well I think part of the reason the money was gone is because he hasn't gotten paid yet by king of France oh, who borrowed oh. money from his dad but he's he's you know he just wasn't as fluid at that moment still very all of his money was in land I don't know
1: the king of France was like I just need this to buy a whole bunch of gold forks and knives for this dinner party, but I promise I'll be able to liquidate him afterwards. <laughs> he lost all his
0: funds <laughs> in the gold forks in the river.
2: Which is really unfortunate because it's 1800 and Napoleon is in charge now.
0: Uh, we're going to be s- scraping the r- scraping the river for any lost forks.
2: He <laughs> might want to go back for those forks, <laughs> yeah. So he's marrying Rich. He's got the most powerful man in New Orleans living upstairs in his house he is just like, it seems almost by accident, stumbling into more money and power. And he is not even like 20 years old at this point. But French rule was, or French rule the second, <laughs> was very short in Louisiana at this point. Because in 1803, Napoleon said, Don't want it. I don't want Louisiana anymore. (laughs) And he sold it to Thomas Jefferson for a cool 15 million.
1: That's so French of him to just change his mind and be like, you know what? Vibes, not feeling this territory. Nah.
2: Not into it. Too humid. (laughs) This isn't what I thought it would be. But Bernard de Marigny, he's rolling with the punches. Mm. He pretty much immediately joins the American military. Not
1: his first seating.
2: Yeah, true. Literally. (laughs) Uh, So he joins the American military because that's like a quick way to get power in any sort of place uh, whenever people are fighting wars all the time. Mm, And does pretty well. By the War of 1812, he is in like Andrew Jackson's inner circle for all of the things happening in New Orleans. And is actually instrumental in convincing andrew jackson to allow uh pirates led by jean lafitte to help in the fight because the the pirates just like know how to navigate louisiana waterways and no one else does the british tried to recruit them the pirates were like no we don't like you (laughs)
1: uh
2: we want to work with the americans and andrew jackson was like no you're scum and bernard was like and everyone was like okay fine we can hang out, I
0: guess.
1: <laughs> so be it. Let the pirates
0: sing. For those of you that are listening to the podcast and are unable to see my face right now, I have a big smile on my face right now just because pirates are all of a sudden in this Are you a story? big John Lafitte fan? No, I'm just a big fan of pirates and just the the sentence. I'm a big Jean Lafitte fan. I'll say. Jean
2: Lafitte is like the best of my, he's my favorite pirate. A a fun little like throwaway. This is a free fact for you. Louisiana history. We're getting a
0: lot of free
1: facts today. Is this the story about the governor? Yes. Yes!
2: He was the scourge of New Orleans and this is one of the reasons Andrew Jackson didn't want to work with him. There was like a bounty on his head forever. The mayor put like a 500 bounty on his head trying to capture him. The mayor of Louisiana, of New Orleans, excuse me. And the next day Jean Lafitte has posted a bounty for triple that 500 for 1500 on the mayor's head as like a is like a revenge the
1: capture of the mayor
0: yeah <laughs> wow oh this is great also the sentence only pirates knew how to navigate the busy louisiana waters it's a sentence that makes me it, it feels right to the soul so it's thank yeah you it's
2: true they're very very they're very clever little sailors but so 1812 comes and goes. Of course, this the fight itself was actually in 1814, the Battle of New Orleans, but it's the War of 1812. And our good old friend, Bernard de Marigny, has managed to really like set himself up for a successful political career as kind of a war hero. And so he kind of goes for it. There's no more war. Louisiana is American, cool. Ooh. Everyone's happy about that, except <laughs> for this like one little awkward thing that's happening wherein a bunch of Americans are moving to louisiana because uh, mississippi river delta all of this trade lots of money to Wait be a minute.
1: made we didn't agree to this <laughs> who allowed this who let this happen
2: that's kind of how they feel because uh, everyone who was already there and has been living there forever you know they speak french louisiana was french they use napoleonic code they don't use common law they don't have all of this like american culture they're, they're very specifically different God. and all of the Anglo- anglo-saxons moving in are saying you need to speak english now
1: it was so appetizing to fight the british no one had they'd have to deal with Americans afterwards. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> they, they had to face their worst, their worst enemies yet. Americans visiting your town. <laughs> tourists. Yeah, Tourists, yeah.
2: Moving Americans. They're like straight moving all the way in. They're not even tourists. They're setting themselves Ooh, up. Settlers. Bernard was a zealous defender of the rights of the ASEAN habitant of the state uh, and soon became the foe of the americans who were flooding into louisiana he emerged as a powerful leader of the french creole population exerting all of his influence to like preserve their culture nice. and Fight for the right to not have to just immediately assimilate to America. Fight
1: for the right to not have to put up with Americans. Noble cause. I'll stand to that.
2: (laughs) And he would get so so angry and heated about it. He was he was a bit of a dueler. He liked to duel people. Yeah. There wasn't. I couldn't find many accounts of like a bunch of people he had succeeded in duels with. (laughs) But it seemed like he really liked to ask people to duel. (laughs) That would
0: be me. That would so be me. It's so, like, do you want to duel? <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: like for example, he challenged a Georgian-born representative, James Humble, in the House of the House of Representatives of Louisiana. James Humble, who had moved from Georgia, just another representative. They mm. had a fight about something, probably about speaking French. (laughs) And after the fight, our good old friend Bernard de Marigny got so angry, he challenged Humble to a duel.
1: Means the fight didn't go very well for him. (laughs) Yeah, probably right. Humble
2: didn't want to. He thought the dueling was stupid, but a friend convinced him that refusing would ruin him politically and socially because it was just a completely different climate than he was used to in Georgia. So he replied to uh, Bernard de Marigny's challenge with, uh, and this is like a literal his his verbatim words I accept your challenge and in the exercise of my privilege I stipulate that the duel shall take place in Lake Pontchartrain in six feet of water sledgehammers to be used as weapons.
0: Which was a
2: real dig at our boy DeMarini, who was 5'8 max and not able to wield a sledgehammer. He was a little, he thought he would be able to like pop a shot at this guy and James Humble said no.
0: (laughs) And then like what? Two feet of water? That's awesome. I I think that's the best detail. In
2: six feet of water, oh, right, so demarine right. would hypothetically have been 4 inches underwater Incredible. in this in this <laughs> set location
1: I think it's amazing, yeah, that they were just like, well, I mean, he did call dibs on the rules. <laughs> That's what it is, folks. Can't complain. Can't yeah. complain, man.
2: <laughs> you can't. That's fair enough. He was, it was his right to choose the weapon in the place as the challenged party. Yeah,
1: to be <laughs> fair, now that I'm thinking that through, like, if somehow modern politicians got into that fight, imagine the other person being like, well, those rules aren't fair. You'd be like, oh, yeah, <laughs> don't have a sledgehammer, do you?
2: <laughs> yeah, but all that to say, our good old friend Bernard de Marigny cared a lot about the French uh, and French rights. Uh, French Ugh. rights, French rights, French Creole rights. <laughs> in 1822, the Supreme Court of Louisiana ruled that all process verbals of family meetings written in French were null and void. So like basically like a lot of stuff that was already established already in the books, already like law for people or like safe couldn't be used anymore if it was in French. Redo it has to be English, mm. uh, which was like a real blow to the French Creole population. Many of whom don't speak English as of yet. They didn't have uh, the privileges that de Marini had to like travel and learn the language. So that's like, that's really serious. Yeah. Bernard de Marigny elected was elected that year to the president of the state Senate and he sponsored legislation known as the French bill to combat this. This would permit the continued use of French and legal documents uh, and it passed the House and Senate with overwhelming majorities. And. Uh- De Marigny was claimed the defender of the French language oh. and never ceased to remind the citizenry of Louisiana of this during his future political campaigns. <laughs> Being which, our good friend De Marigny, he wanted to be the governor. He wanted to be the governor so bad. The big chair. So he wanted it. He craved it, the power.
0: I, I know he's older now, but I'm still, I'm still imagining no, him still as a 15, 15-year-old. Luis. Yeah, he's <laughs> still taking place. In the,
2: <laughs>
0: the cigar is still lit. (laughs) Louis the cigar is still going strong.
2: Almost (laughs) forty.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Well. <laughs>
2: he really wanted to be the governor. He was almost 40. He ran in both 24, 1824 and 1828. Good year. And he had a very interesting approach to trying to get people to vote for him. You know, people usually like travel around and give speeches or ask people what they want government wise, you mm. know, that to kiss babies, I guess. Mm. He hired are. bands, dancers and singers and toured the state staging elaborate shows to like woo the elect- electorate.
1: Oh, hang on maybe that's what the people so want so he was like
2: maybe if i just if i go up if i go everywhere and like throw everyone a big party then i'll they want me to be governor that's that's how things work this
1: man understood the louisiana electorate He's putting on a production of <laughs> unfortunately he, he did not
2: to. because he never got to be the governor oh. He, oh. the best thing he ever did political wise was the french bill he never succeeded in his in his big dreams
0: wow yeah, but he was yeah, rich. bummer. You so can have
2: more money than God and you still can't be the governor of Louisiana.
0: That also means that the counterpoint is that if you have little money, you can also become the governor of Louisiana. So watch out 2025. I'm coming for you, Louisiana. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just feel like, man, maybe this guy chose the wrong life path. Like I think when he invented craps, he had like hero or villain, you know, fork in the road. I just feel like he was in like Dusko Popov territory. Yeah. You know, he was messing around in Europe. <laughs> he was gambling. He was way richer than... That he knew what to do with. Super lucky. He lived in a time before cocaine was readily available to him. Mm. He could have. He could have been a real. A real. I mean, he could have wriggled all the way on. Don't
2: you worry about that, because his political aspirations were only a small facet of his, of his existence.
1: Oh. Oh. That yeah. was
2: just. That was his. That was his one dream that I guess was never realized. The one that got away. Right, yeah. He did most of his business in land development. Uh, as I mentioned before, he had the Maroney Plantation, which is in where New Orleans Proper is now. And he uh, created the Maroney neighborhood of New Orleans by dividing this property into many parcels and like selling it off to people uh, to pay off his ever-growing gambling debts. Come on and uh, because of this, because he basically like designed one of the major neighborhoods of the city, he got to name all of the streets and he is behind a lot of the like fanciful, like crazy, silly little names oh uh, of streets in New Orleans. That's awesome. Like Aww. abundance, peace, uh, history, poets, piety, Frenchmen, great men, good children, desire, <laughs> pleasure, duels. Hang and on, did go back to pleasure. Street, What's going on on Pleasure Street? Oh dude, there's a desire street. There's a hope street. There's a love street. There's a pleasure street.
0: But why is Pleasure Street so close to Good Children's Street? That's bad guys.
2: Oh no. What's
1: going on at the intersection of pleasure and piety? <laughs> oh, Nothing no. good. <laughs> <laughs> That's your opinion, Luis.
2: <laughs> there were actually also there were like a bunch of churches on Crap Street and they didn't want to be like the Crap Street churches anymore, oh. so they got the they got the street changed, I forget to what. It's a good band
1: I feel name. Like Maybe um, the but... churches should have moved, you know? Street they were throwing the dice there first. Crap Street churches? That's pretty good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, so he was he was still doing some fun things. He was also the guy who popularized horse racing in Louisiana. Nice. Uh He created the Louisiana Fairgrounds, uh, started breeding horses.
1: Man, this guy really deserved to be governor.
2: <laughs> I'm telling you, he's got the spirit. And so he brought another way to gamble for himself because he liked gambling on horses. But everyone else gets to do it too. That's fun. He founded the city of Mandeville, which... I happen to be from It's uh, there's this big old lake the Pontchartrain the Pontchartrain of the duel that could have happened with sledgehammers oh, yeah. um, and New Orleans is on the south side of it and Mandeville is on the north side of it and he said that he founded it because he wanted the land for hunting but it's not in like history documents or anything but it's like pretty understood that the reason my city Mandeville was founded is because the wealthy men of New Orleans would keep their mistresses there Ooh. like they would they would keep houses in, in Mandeville and Covington for the mistresses to stay in so they could just drive across the lake and hang out with them. That's where
1: oh, yeah. ye old Pleasure Street cul-de-sac mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> exactly. Exactly <laughs> that. Marini also uh, funded the first organized New Orleans Mardi Gras celebration in 1833.
1: This man deserved to be governor.
2: I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And it's what he did that uh, many other crews like, based their whole, their whole plans on was his initial idea and how he executed it. But yeah, uh, our boy uh, Bernard de Marigny basically just kind of spent his life gambling, getting really drunk, buying and selling land, wishing he was the governor of Louisiana. <laughs> he did eventually lose his fortune with gambling. And then like, a, I don't remember exactly the specifics, but in like the 1840s to 50s, like land just became a lot less valuable for a second. And this oh. man just bought so much land all of the time and suddenly no one wants it. And that was like a bummer for him. Uh, so he like lost. Lost his fortune and died impoverished in 1868. Buried in St. Louis Number no. One Cemetery in New Orleans. If you ever just want to like go hang out there, I guess.
0: <laughs> did he? Did he get married or have children?
2: He. So well? he married that first wife. Um, the
1: rich gal. Yeah.
2: Not a lot was known about her. He married a second wife who he really, really loved. He thought she was like the coolest and uh, I don't remember her details very much, but I do know he wanted whenever she died to bury her next to his old like family home. And he had sold it at that point, and they wouldn't oh. let him bury the body there. Oh,
0: like, to, like, next
2: to where the rest of his family was, because he was already too poor. I know that he had children, but I don't know much about them. I don't know, in fact, anything about them, except for the fact that they exist.
1: So he basically blew the whole fortune, then.
2: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> he was burning hot, man. He had a
1: lot of cigars to light.
2: Lots of cigars to light, lots of gold forks to throw into the river. The brightest
1: <laughs> stars
0: burn the quickest.
2: our previous adventure was kind of like a very historical account of the life of a man. This one is going to be a little bit different as it's a much smaller time frame and it's also... I just I feel like I have to describe my sources before I go into it because it's the type of thing that we're not really usually supposed to or allowed to talk about. We're talking about Mardi Gras balls, which are inherently secretive organizations. Oh seriously, you're not supposed to share a lot of things about their history, especially if you're involved with them. Yes, very seriously. I have I have many very very fun facts that I can't tell (sighs) anybody, but I got I got some approval on this one. I talked to some people. The other thing about it, like this is not a thing you can look up in history books because it's a secret history oh. i talked a little bit to my to my great uncle who's a historian uh i talked a little bit to my grandmas i uh, uh they're very involved in the new orleans historic collection there was just a lot of it's just it's just not as like historically sound as some things might be but mm. it happened it's just the story was kept in different ways if that makes
1: Source, sense Source. trust my grandma bro <laughs>
2: No, it's there are a bunch of accounts in it, but it's just like uh, Mardi Gras balls are like secret organizations You're not supposed to say the Mm. name of like the secret club that it like they'll have a a nom de plume
1: Mm. Uh, Their
2: histories are secret. You're not supposed to talk about who was members of what it's very against the rules even if it was this far away. And we'll be talking about a few names, so that's just like a little...
1: So since since you may be revealing some semi-sensitive information, Shay, do you want to go on the record now and say, like, you're not planning any big trip? You would never kill yourself in police custody. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Although all of these names are people who are long dead, so it would be very impressive if they were able to come after you me. You gotta
1: watch out, dude. The Knights of Omus, still a powerful organization. The shadowy hand running our I'm government. I'm telling
2: you, man. Are
1: we, are we about to, like,
0: say, like, some information that has never been said before and reveal it on this podcast? Now
1: that's unbelievable.
2: Um, definitely, yeah, and that's probably, wild. uh, we're gonna get pretty in-depth about how Mardi Gras culture works.
1: You
0: can't find I this content anywhere else, I don't think is something else, that folks. you
2: find. Exactly. Exactly. This one goes exactly out to that. you,
0: all of our five listeners.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so as mentioned before, uh, Mardi Gras parades and balls started in New Orleans in 1833 with people like our good old friend Bernard de Marigny, who was, of course, a French Creole, which was kind of the elite of the elite of the city. And they, of course, being French... We're Catholic, Ooh. and I'm gonna I'm gonna stop the record for just a second because I've been saying the term French Creole a lot, and I'm not sure if you know what that means. The word Creole is used in a lot of different contexts around the world. There are three different ethnic groups in French Louisiana as a colony. There were uh, the Cajuns who live in West Louisiana. The French Creoles who are around New Orleans and the Acadians are the farming people who came down from Canada, down the Mississippi and like settled around there, but weren't in like the city proper. Mm. So French Creole was the term that any like French person would use to refer to someone who was like just basically born in Louisiana in the New Orleans area and that's just what that meant. Mm. So whenever I say that that's what I'm talking about specifically. So the French Creole were kind of the elite of the elite of the city and of course they were Catholic. The people who weren't Catholic were all of those new Americans who were coming to New Orleans oh, no. after that Louisiana Ooh. Purchase.
1: Someone uh. should put a violent Ooh. stop to this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> to all of those to all of those those Protestants coming in from all the
1: wasps from who
2: knows where. Oh my God! I'm telling you.
1: Now you have to learn what a homeowners association is. It sucks. <laughs> uh,
2: the Protestants and the Catholics historically were not friends. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <And> what? <laughs> historically were not having a good time. I need I
0: need to send some letters apologizing. Protestants
1: historically not invited to my Catholic fifth birthday party.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, like. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much.
0: (laughs) This one goes out to all of Shay's Protestant friends, a.k.a. none. <laughs> <laughs>
2: the Catholics would, the the French Creole who were Catholic, one of the ways they would be like, we don't like you guys, is they wouldn't welcome them into high society.
0: Mm, <sighs> that's a classic uh, they scandal. They wouldn't let
2: them come to the cool things. They wouldn't hang out with them, basically. They, uh, they wouldn't touch them with a 10 foot pole. So all of these, you know, like new money, uh, no family name people who were just moving into New Orleans, and we're Protestant. We're getting a little fed up with the French Creole superiority aspect of the New Orleans social scene. And by the 1850s, they decided, fine, like we can't hang out with you guys in your own special clubs. We're gonna make our own, Classic. I guess. I, you guys suck. So a group of gentlemen decided to start their own secret club inspired by the Mardi Gras mystique that did exist in New Orleans. But this one would be theirs and they would get to do Mardi Gras themselves because they never got to do it before because they weren't allowed to be in the clubs.
1: Was it going to be like this is one that we're going to let everyone in or is it like this is just for us? Like would they have let a French Creole person into their Mardi Gras club?
2: I really, really doubt it (laughs) because none of them would have hung out. It it definitely didn't come up mm. because of reasons we'll hear soon enough. But I to 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 give even like more of a taste, like some of these founding members, uh, their names. Samuel Manning Todd from Utica, New York. What a bad name. Uh, let's uh, Frank Shaw Jr. Also from New York. Go back New to York. the French
1: names. Yeah, What's going on, on here? Yeah, listen.
2: <laughs> I'm t- so like they're they're all just like super super like Anglo-Saxon. These aren't French. These people aren't from here. They're all they moved from different places. This just, this is something totally new to them. But they say, we want to do Mardi Gras too. We have money, we want to spend it, we want to be part of this, Mm. we want to be part of this city. And so they form the mystic crew of Comus which is actually one of the longest-running Mardi Gras organizations still going today. So founded in 1857. uh, It's not parading anymore, but it still does have its balls. It's
0: always a good time. uh,
2: And is like a very, very prestigious organization. One Mardi Gras historian describes the mystic crew of Comus's creation in New Orleans thusly. It was Comus who, in 1857 saved and transformed the dying flame of the old Creole Carnival with his Enchanter's Cup. It was Comus who introduced torch-lit processions and thematic floats to Mardi Gras, and it was Comus who ritually closed and still closes the most cherished festivities of New Orleans with splendor and pomp. Comus's first night parade, replete with torches, which later became known as flambeau, Marching bands and rolling floats was wildly popular with carnival revelers. So popular was the first Comus parade that the prospect of its second one attracted, for the first time, thousands of -of out-of-town visitors to New Orleans for the carnival celebration. So they really they revolutionized stuff. This
1: is a, a tale as old as time. The Protestants show up from Utica, incorporate tiki torches into the festivities. Everybody loves it. It's a new idea.
0: Everyone goes wild. Everyone goes
1: wild. <laughs>
0: yeah. What are the French Creoles thoughts on all this?
2: Oh, trust me. We're getting there. <laughs> we do have a little bit more background to go through for the things to make sense. So uh, Mardi Gras is like a whole season. It builds up to Mardi Gras, translates to Fat Tuesday, which is always the Tuesday uh, right before Ash Wednesday when the Lenten season starts. It's tied to the like Catholic calendar because... Louisiana is Catholic. Sorry, Protestants.
1: (laughs) Don't make the rules. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Protestants desperately trying to be involved in this.
2: Yeah, but um, so Comus would have a parade on the actual day of Mardi Gras in the evening and then would have what was more socially important. It's tableau ball. A tableau ball. A tableau is kind of like you hear the word when you see a a painting or a picture with a bunch of different Mm. people in it, Mm -hmm. like a scene with many different things going on um and all of the Mardi Gras balls or tableau balls where it starts with like it depends on the it depends on the organization with like a little show Um, a procession of the nobility of the Mardi Gras ball that year of like that specific one. So like the king, uh, the queen will either be revealed if it's Twelfth Night or Momus or like you already knew who she was, but you see her process, you see all of the maids process. There's just like a lot of people and a lot of costumes. um,
1: A lot of processing to go around. A lot of
2: processing to go around. The men who are members of the organization proper will be masked, not in like a Venetian way, but they're kind of like, they're like cloth masks with holes and then they kind of like fall down. Um, and it's it's very... Uh, very
1: birth of a nation. I
2: don't know. It's like really special if you get to be one of the maskers. Everyone knows that like you're in the group uh, and people who aren't masked and just like were invited will be in their like formal wear. But so like they're costumey, they're like doing a show, they're like presenting. It's like a whole song and dance. And again, the parade is to show off to everybody. Look at us, we're doing this fun thing. But it's the ball that everybody cares about. Don't get it twisted.
0: Mm, I, will ne- I never get my balls twisted.
2: Thank God. <laughs> Do
0: not worry, Shay. I hate that I know
1: he's lying. Ah, <laughs> you don't know that.
2: So now these days, the royalty is chosen to honor long-standing members of the organization or like families that have been involved in it for a long time. Like if your mother was queen, you're a lot more likely to be queen your year etc. But mm. not as much thought went into that back in the day. Um, an organization called Twelfth Night was like the most random one, where they just like had a big cake, and uh, it was cut into slices, and one slice had a golden bean in it, and all of the unmarried women could go get a piece of cake, and whoever had the golden bean in their cake, they're queen. Yay! Oh, that's hey. fun.
1: They leave it leave it open to a little chance.
2: Yeah. The other balls, it was pretty much just like whoever the king asked for a first dance, she gets to be queen. Ta-da. So so, again, we, I think we talked about this before. We care less about women right now. We're not honoring women. It's it's like an afterthought. But anyway.
1: If you want to be honored, Shay, you should try getting the golden bean, okay? I don't know what to tell Mine you. Mine was you know, silver. We, we laid this out ahead silver. of time. If
0: you want to be honored, Shay, you shouldn't have joined this podcast. Oh, you did get a bean, though, at
1: some point.
2: Yes, I was presented in Twelfth Night. I was a maid. My mom was queen, and my sister oh, okay, was. Okay,
0: now we're bragging. So, at
1: this point in time, they had multiple beans. Like, there's a, uh, there a silver well, bean. Was there a bronze bean, too? Or how far <laughs> down do they go, you know? Sure. Surely not there's a fifth place bean i mean that's just ridiculous
2: nowadays only the girls who are specifically maids that year who will be making their like it'll be their debut year and they'll be maids in whatever balls um and you get a silver bean if you're a maid and you get the golden bean if you're the queen and that's just what 12th night does specifically there
1: was no cake involved in this then you just gotta be there's, handed like a, to you. there's
2: a big cake made of plaster and it actually does come in a little box and it's just kind of like a little square of almond cake and your bean will be inside of that. But thats I guess that's not as relevant.
0: That's boring. Mm.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Late, I want boo. it to be edible. I, I, want, I, want,
0: there, I want there to be the, the possibility. I want there to be a choking hazard. That's fair. You know? That's true. Anyway, <laughs> but they they didn't ask me. You know, and, uh, you know, Mardi Gras maybe maybe they will
2: after they hear this.
0: Yeah, this one goes out to you, uh, Louisiana Mardi Gras communities. Uh, <laughs> reach out to me. Uh, my phone lines are open.
2: So yeah, the the French Creole social scene—they were not jazzed about the Protestants copying their thing. Mm. But you know, like, what are you gonna do? Live and let live. I'm totally lying. That's not how they handled it at all. Talk to the <laughs> Irish. There was, uh, there was like this one specific guy who seemed to be extra, extra angry about this. His name was Adrian Raquette. He was born in 1824. So I guess he's like mid-30s-ish at this point. And he is a wealthy wine merchant and like established French Creole poet. So he's got the money. He's like cool and artsy. He's very popular. He has like a lot of sway with everyone. Mm. Everyone you all want adrian at your parties
1: he's the wine plug i mean come he's on He's cool
2: he's a cool that's, guy that's I guess. a lot of
1: clout in new orleans yeah <laughs> he was
2: you know like very active politically and socially he represented the fifth ward of new orleans in the new orleans city council and uh very important in french creole high society again and he was super 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 against the like newer mentality of erasing the french side of louisiana and really hated all of these american newcomers who were coming and changing the city talking english everywhere wanting him to talk english trying to get rid of being able to use french legally at that like law from the last story like they were just really Mm. it's it sounds kind of petty like i don't know if i'm describing it very well but that's such a huge change to like suddenly not be able to use your language to have all of these things be stripped away from you so it can make a lot of sense like why these people were so heated about this there is
1: something interesting like when you were talking about the dates in the beginning of like how long people have been residing in that area and like it's kind of hard to remember that like people were there in that place before there was united states like they had their own thing going on and then other people showed up and said like now you're our country or at least that's how it felt to a lot of the people living there so yeah it, it did really feel like like, I, I assume, like, almost being occupied or invaded or something. Mm-hmm. I'm also thinking, like, man, you could show this guy a picture of 2023 Bourbon Street and he'd have a heart attack on the oh spot. Oh, my God. <laughs> Kurt, I
0: I, I I just want to make a quick comment here. I never hear you making these sorts of reflections about outsiders coming in, potential takeovers of your, your, your homeland, really. I never hear you have these sorts of thoughts and comments when we're talking about indigenous people of Mesoamerica, Kurt. Just... Putting it out there. But now that now all of a sudden we've got European Americans on here. I don't know, Kurt. Seems fishy to me.
1: Is, is that true? Because I, <laughs> I think I talked quite a bit about it in our, in our water episode, Luis. But I will also pause it. Don't you have some German ancestry? How'd they end up over there? <laughs> Shay, so you were saying about the French Creole?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I was talking about our, our good of the French Creole friend, Adrian Raquette. And he found the mystic crew of Comus to be a cheap imitation of the traditions he held sacred of his culture. Like these people are just showing up and doing the things that he does that they all do, just like looking at it and copying it whenever this isn't part of their lifestyle, this isn't part of their tradition, is I think like more against their religion because Mardi Gras was still like, you get crazy drunk and you live in a bunch of excess before Lent. I I don't know much about Protestants, but I feel like that's like, I feel like they're a little stricter than that.
1: Yeah, we just feel guilt mostly
0: yeah it's Mm. it's it's a big catholic thing the the sense of the flesh i think you know catholics more more into that generally
2: love that Mm. love that but so he was just like not into this vibes and after the like the rumor mill started talking about this new crew that was gonna parade this mardi gras and whatever adrian was like he was so catty about it. He would, like, leave restaurants and he would get everyone to leave with him or he would, like, leave plays or whatever if any of these guys showed up and he, like, knew that they were part of it and would try to punish Ooh. any events or any restaurants, etc., that would let these people come in.
1: He's playing hardball.
2: Literally, he would be like, nobody go to this restaurant. Don't eat there anymore. Nobody go to, like, don't, don't go to plays with this actor. Don't do this, don't do that. Uh, and there was even, like, awesome. there was an account of one of the guys, Frank Shaw Jr., being refused at Antoine's when he was trying to go to lunch there because Antoine's was so scared of losing all of their clientele. They wouldn't even let him in the door.
1: For the uninitiated, by the way, Antoine's is a major restaurant in New Orleans. Yeah, major,
2: major, major. Been there forever. Is like one of like the big three or whatever of the New Orleans restaurants today. But so like he's going, he's clawing, he has the teeth out in all of his like social scene power. How, How shameful it would be to get refused at a restaurant. I don't know if you can imagine that but that was i like, don't have
1: to can you imagine the shame of it to be refused you need to Ant-wise?
2: you need to get oh. your head out of wherever it is and get yourself into new orleans social
0: scene right Right.
1: yeah i was gonna say honestly if you don't understand that you're not going to be elected governor i'm you know? exactly
2: that mm-hmm. you need exactly to understand that. that to be it's like you governor. have to you have to put your mentality you have to put yourself into the position of like like a suburban mom like they're that catty we are like real oh, housewives God. but mm-hmm. it's everybody it's it's the men Really. It,
0: it's it's real
1: housewives, but everyone has more money than God.
2: Yes. So it's real housewives. <laughs>
1: okay. Imagine imagine French society but with the audacity of a suburban mom who's on the homeowners association. I That's mean true. Oof. But So wild. yeah,
2: Raquette is like stirring the pot of an already extremely tense situation between the French Creole and the new Americans. Like it honestly, I feel like he probably cared less about, and this is just speculation, about this specific thing. But it was just like representative of all of the issues and all of the tension that was already happening with all of these new people and all of these new changes. But... He is very, very upset, he's stirring the pot, tension is rising, and the worst affront of all, Comus's tableau ball is scheduled for the, like, they're parading, and their ball is at the same time as the ball that all of the French Creole will be going to, which was Orphix, uh, which currently, at this point in time, 1850s, is like the cool, cool ball that gets to happen on Mardi Gras. No other ball happens at the same time. No other parades happen at the same time because everybody who's anybody is going to Orphix, except all of a sudden. Now there's a new thing happening at the same time. The nerve of these people. No way. The nerve of these new Americans. They're
1: playing games.
2: That is is such a catty thing to do, to schedule things at the same time. You
1: know, I think it is interesting that both of these stories are about, like, not necessarily revolution, but a way of one culture pushing back or pushing against another culture. And the first one's more, like, physical action and the second one's more like taking social action because, you know, I think for a long time, probably like you were saying, there was people who were trying to join the space that was already there, you know, the Protestants coming in. At a certain point, it probably was a smart thing to say like, let's aggressively say we're making our own space and we're going to like shun everyone else because that was kind of the way it seems maybe to socially game the situation a little bit. But it's interesting how a lot of people were frustrated about the same thing, but there were different approaches and they had success in different ways. I guess
2: also like, I don't know, Adrian didn't seem like much of a like a dueling character. He didn't. He was very hot headed, but he was like, Adrian's a catty bitch. Bernard de Marini does not have the head for like these machinations and this like (sighs) this like hot gossip. How am I going to like this is this Mm. is like high school drama except city level is how Adrian seems to be approaching things. But yeah, so another note about Mardi Gras organizations is like back then, you would parade to your ball. Like I mentioned the men, there was like a a subsection of people who got to mask at the ball. They were masked on the street parading Uh. to the place where the ball would be. And that's like kind of how the parade started is they would like get super drunk and be having a good time and just kind of be like this rolling party going somewhere which is just a neat, fun little, a fun little moment, a fun little thing that would happen. And Mardi Gras, again, it's a time of excess. Everyone is getting so, like, out of their minds drunk. They're wearing the craziest things. That's fun. Everyone's having fun. So the day of Mardi Gras comes, Mardi Gras proper, and both crews are having their respective parades and balls this evening. And Adrian is already extremely angry about Comus in general, And now also is like belligerently drunk with all of his friends, like his echo chamber, all hanging out together, like walk into their ball, parading, having a good time um, in their silly little costumes where Adrian purportedly has an idea and you know it's not it's not known where the props have come from it's not known if this was like a premeditated act or a, a revenge spur of the moment i'm drunk what if we did this idea like fun little prank let's ah. <laughs> but adrian and some of his buddies like like eight or nine other guys never made it to the orphix ball that night of mardi gras oh. however around nine ish at the other ball, at Comus, Comus's first ball ever, some, some unfamiliar faces arrived at the Comus ball. All of these, these, these figures in long white dresses and excessive makeup, crashing Comus, and it's Adrian and his bros, all in like effectively drag.
1: <laughs> Adrian and the boys.
2: Like they're they're, they're wearing white dresses and oh like, dramatic makeup. Adriana
1: and, stuff. and the girls.
2: Like they I like I don't <laughs> I don't know where they got the clothes. I don't know what exactly they were thinking, but they show up. They walk through the doors late to the ball in these dresses and are happy to you know they're <laughs> they're up to something. But whatever they're up to. Their appearance did not have quite the effect that I imagined they intended. Like, they were, they were a little bit late to the ball already, so the tableau had started, the show had started. Mm. Everyone is already, like, sitting down unless they're actively part of the tableau. So the audience thinks that this is part of the show. And they're so excited about this, like, dramatic, <laughs> like, Oh, who are these people coming no. through of this new Mardi Gras organization? And then, of course, all of the men who are actually doing the show, are like drunk as hell and they've never run a mardi gras parade before they just think this is like a lot of them think this is part of it like not enough wow. like people are oh, not like this. moving and there's not like a stage manager calling stuff they're just kind of like doing their own thing and think oh well maybe the other guy did this maybe the other guy planned this i don't know but they're like they're not too pressed about it a bunch of people <laughs> showed up in costumes they seem to be part of the show roll with it i guess if
0: you're not in the show and i'm not in the show then who's directing this tableau? That's
1: true, then who's driving? Exactly. <laughs> Their scheme got lost in the sauce. They, it was like, they th- said, let's be so extravagant, we ruined the party, but they failed to realize that there's no amount of extravagance that would look out of place. Uh, during Mardi Gras, yeah. Yeah.
2: And some other details they maybe didn't think about as much. So they're all in these like white dresses. White is the color the unmarried women the maids wear at things so like i I think they were like trying to make fun of them somehow or be like i I don't know exactly what the plan was again there wasn't there wasn't like a document that detailed the the mental state (laughs) of these people but so like they're showing up showing themselves off as like unmarried like eligible women to be you know they're in the mix (laughs) um
1: this is so cool incredible (laughs) the results of this scheme not expected but welcome
2: they they totally just Everyone at Comus thought they were part of the tableau. They uh, were probably doing like a Greco-Roman thing because that's usually how they started is you'd do like images from like paintings or from myth stories or whatever. And so like one account was like, I thought they were the nine muses in this like dramatic makeup and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Nowadays, it's usually like political stuff and they can be really confusing actually. But like back then they were a little Mm. classier, I guess. But so these guys show up and everybody loves it. Everybody is eating it up, they think that this is the best. And uh, the muses, our nine muse friends, uh, are, are crashers, they didn't really, they didn't know what to do about that. They were kind of also like in the moment, deer dear in the lights, <laughs> they showed up there, things are happening differently than they thought that they would. And they did not know what to do about it and are kind of like frozen almost until the King of Comus that year, Comus himself, Samuel Manning. Old
1: man Comus. Old
2: man Comus, Samuel Manning, actually asks one of these men to be his first dance. Thinking it was like a woman oh. in her dramatic Mardi Gras oh. costume and the makeup, so that that would effectively make this guy the first queen of combs.
1: Oh yeah, it's getting fruity.
2: <laughs> it's getting so Amazing. like absolutely crazy fruity. <laughs> of course, that did not happen that way. It didn't. It didn't work out that way because this guy did not accept the dance.
0: Coward. Coward. <laughs> oh. Come on.
2: Yeah, I know. It is. It's very sad. I wish the story had went differently. At this point, Adrian is kind of like he's out of his fog. He's like, okay, it's time for action. This is not working the way that I thought it would. All of my boys are a little bit confused.
1: <laughs> my boys are getting hit on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> my boys are
2: getting yeah. hit on. This is yeah, not. we're the being prank. flirted
1: left and right. <laughs>
2: This is not the prank that I thought it would be. And so he and his boys who have been like probably roaring drunk since 10 in the morning just end up like jumping one of the maskers who's right there. Like they say, this isn't going the way I thought. I'm not ready to confront like maybe like being queer in any capacity. Let's do something really masculine and let's fight. Beat him up. And they try to start a big old brawl. Um, I guess they might have given it to that guy really good, but. There's only like nine of them, nine or ten, I don't know. And they're like super drunk and they're surrounded by a whole ballroom full of people. Things do not go that well for Adrian and his boys after the fight starts.
0: Yeah, surely. Yeah, everyone
2: is okay. No one is no one is no one is dead, I guess. But it did not happen the way they thought that it would. But you know what? They did after starting the fight, like pretty successfully, ruin the show and really embarrass Comus because he tried to ask a dude to dance with him. It was like a like that would have been very that was just, it was not what he expected. So that was like a bit embarrassing. So Adrian did kind of get what he wanted, but also got his ass kicked. Mm. And actually, uh, this is so terrible. A lot of the French Creole would like tease these men later like this year whenever they would see them on the street by offering their hands to be kissed like whenever they would see them like the greeting that you might give a woman so like they were like you see me as a lady like i'm like i'm what you want like (laughs) to to all those protestants and i guess that really made him angry but tough
0: I'd 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 kiss the hand I feel like that's the best. <laughs> that's approach how you to win. It. You that's actually you go win. go in all the way.
1: I feel like, you know, the okay, like the King of Momus freaked out about this. Then they should make some sort of, you know, procedure in the future. Like, Luis, consider this. What if they have like a chair that's got the hole cut in the bottom of it and they put, uh, yeah. you know, the Queen yeah. of Momus up on there and then everybody all the party goers go underneath like London Bridge style, you know. One by one. I yeah. mean, if it's good enough for the Vatican, it's good enough for the Knights of Momus. And
0: you know, what does the Vatican share with uh the Louisiana Catholic, Catholic. So
1: that's so true, you know. The queen of Momus does not have testicles, therefore, they do not hang well.
0: Perfect, hopefully.
1: Thank God. on a good year, you know.
0: Lots of balls in Louisiana. This is making sure that there's one less pair of balls. Well, spoken. so true. Well said. So Thanks, true. guys. Our lines are
1: open, Knights of Momus. Call. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, overall, our friend Adrian did get what he wanted and like got to cause his scene or whatever at the first comus ball. But you know what? I hate to I hate to say it. You know, the Protestants and the those dirty Americans totally won. First of all, oh. Comus lasted way longer than the crew Adrian was in at that like the Orphix. Oh. Like Orphix lost. That does not exist. That is that is dead dead dead. Mm. And the crew of Comus is one of the like if not the, like, longest-running Mardi Gras organization to exist.
1: Honestly, I feel like they had a big flaw in their plan by accidentally making the Comus party, like, the greatest party ever. You know, their, their scheme made a scene, and also, like, that had to be the best party for everyone, right?
2: I mean, everyone would have been talking about Comus, not about whatever the heck happened at Orfix. so that's true. Like, wherever there's drama, wherever there's a scene, that's good.
1: We're still talking about that party. We're talking about Comus right now. No
2: press is bad press, and Adrian that's did true. not get that. You know, he was a poet. He wasn't he wasn't a press secretary, I guess. Mm. So I would say Comus won. I mean, like, look at me speaking English right now and not French. Oops. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Ta-da. Those are my stories. Richer than God playboy versus Mardi Gras drama
0: versus the concept of mardi gras
2: i feel
1: like we just got like a deep dipping in louisiana culture and drama oh man because you know they're like at the same same time but and like i was saying kind of two sides of the different coin of people's aggressive intentions and people's uh shenanigan reparty intentions the worst
0: part too Curtin. you probably know this but i mean you're you have some roots down to louisiana too so if you're feeling kind of weird I'm feeling very weird into it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. And of course, there's also, you know, Luis, this this between you and I is always a bit of a game because we know each other so well. Shay knows both of us so well. I know. So I'm I'm not going to lie. Behind the scenes, I've been doing so much mental calculus of like, she knows that I know that she knows. Oh I my God. Are you thinking
2: this. about like, why did she tell this in this format more historically? Because then they'll think it's true versus like all I, I, I thought about things like that when I was putting together my story. I
1: know you. Did. i know you did you little schemer
2: i'm in i'm in so many levels of like mental gymnastics layered deceptions i hope those
1: are the gymnastics we do at
0: every episode we just don't show it but i mean why do you think i'm always so confused <laughs>
1: She has has definitely brought her own smoke and mirrors, uh, her own supply of smoke and mirrors, and yeah. yeah, we've we've really got our work cut out for us, Luis, I think.
0: Let's not dilly dally much further, and let's go to our favorite. And it's gonna be a really not favorite part of this show today, mm. and that is
1: deliberation. Yeah. Yeah, we've got our we've got our work cut out for us, Luis. Do we? Oh man. Okay. Do you, do you have any? I'm thoughts? feeling
0: like we have to cut up a whole lot. And uh, I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah,
1: that's, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's a big task. What do you think?
0: Uh, right. Well, Shay actually, like, I, I can tell Shay has listened to this podcast and you talk to to her about our format because Shay, I swear, you know how I like a story about a person and I like mm. our stories about people and their big money moves and their big lives and then oftentimes whenever there's stories that don't involve people, I kind of check out from the very beginning and you've pulled that <laughs> right now, right?
2: So are you just saying that you didn't like the second story and you checked out the whole time? I'm not,
0: <laughs> <I'm> not- <laughs> Go back to the tape. Listen that I did not speak much. Nah, just kidding. Uh, but I'm just saying. I think I think you're you're playing into that, right? Because the first story seems like exactly the type of guy that you w- want me to empathize with, and he is. Mm. Like I hear him going to a place to learn, not learning, and inventing a vice. And then going back <laughs> and then doing that, I'm like, yes, yes, that. that Sign yeah, me up. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I want that life of being rich, having my vice, helping out my local community, and then dying in poverty. Like yeah, that.
2: You can be you can be a gambler, a playboy, and you can be an activist.
0: And so that's what makes it that's what makes it very appealing to me. Now, your knowledge of Louisiana and your knowledge of Louisiana culture generally is is what adds a a whole lot of sprinkling of truth or or at least believability to this story, which... I hate that I'm like I, I I find myself not being able to lean onto one story or the other. But considering that I know I love stories about specific people that caused that did a lot of change, whether that's good or bad, this seems to to tick all the boxes that I really enjoy. And it and it's it's it seems too good to be true in my brain. Even though he seemed to have like a bit of a low-key life. I don't know. I'm I'm finding hesitation yeah. there.
1: I, I know, I know what you're saying, Luis. Cause I'll I'll even do you. One better that i think the first story where we're kind of talking about this guy's life and you know he has multiple different flavors in here of rascal running for governor he's like playing his role as nobility i think that's also definitely a story that shay would really like but i think that she knows that mm. we would know that so that, that's why i'm kind of stuck in this circle of like that's the you know, I'm thinking like the first stories we kind of made up where you would like it would be a story that would be a little bit happier world or a little bit too random coincidence to to be true in real life. You know, I know that's a story that's really yeah. appetizing to Shay, but also she's a long listener of our podcast, so maybe that's complete bait. Maybe she knows specifically that we would find this other story where it's kind of feels more like an outline of uh, a historical time period, different people, different events, and there's kind of different things to tangentially right. interact with it, that that that's the story that feels more true. So I'm really going in circles. You know, I was really hoping that your scared Chihuahua brain would like reach for one of the stories and I could just jump on that and blame you for wrong. My outside perspective. Yeah, but I'm, yeah. I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm in the soup about it.
0: No. And, and, and you see Kurt, what, what both of these stories have got going for them is that, and, and, and I don't mean this in a, in a bad way, Shay, but they're both kind of uneventful, <laughs> right? Like, with the first story starts off very strong, then, okay, he tries to become governor, mm. doesn't, dies poor, right? And it's just like, oh, okay, it's just this, yeah. this other guy. The other story, it's just like, oh, not not much happened. Mm-hmm. It's just a, an event. Yeah. But I, but that's what's tripping me up a lot. Because it's one of these stories, like we always say, it almost seems like the most quotidian, the most regular Day sounding stories yeah. are the ones that are the most unbelievable and the most uh, likely to be true. But both of these have that.
1: Yeah, you know, not to get too meta, but that's that is something kind of an interesting calculation that goes into it sometimes. Of you know, sometimes you'll pick two stories that seem fairly believable and real to life. Sometimes you'll pick two stories that seem like they must both be false. And sometimes you'll do one and one kind of baiting yeah. the other person to pick one. Yeah. And again, since I know Shay has listened to a lot of this podcast, I. I I really think that it could be any of them you know this reminds me a lot of when I told you the story Luis of the Sadie this convention center somewhere in Ohio that hosted a bunch of different random acts and conventions and one of the things you said was that you really could see me having so much fun I keep thinking about all the names in the long list of these these French nobility people the long names uh, you know Bernard and his father and stuff that I can really see Shay having a lot of fun coming up with those names I don't know you know I'll be honest I really feel like yeah. I could be getting giga gigabrained right now, but I think just based on that, I'm going to have to go with... I'm not believing in Bernard. I, I don't think there was was Bernard plus his other six names, richer than God, inventing craps.
0: You know what, Kurt? As you're, as you're saying that, I got to thinking because the second story has a very big, just kind of like Shakespeare comedy twist. They're like, oh, they're women. Everyone thinks they're women. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's very sitcom yeah. <laughs> And And now thinking back at that, I'm like, I'm thinking that you just wanted to write something silly like this and but i was i was leaning towards the bernard story being fake and all of a sudden i'm leaning towards the other story being fake so what do we do kurt i mean
1: we can we can choose different ones is this might be the first time we've disagreed but go ahead luis this this is a podcast born out of competition
0: (sighs) well in that case kurt you've made your choice bernard is fake yeah that's correct all right well i'll make my choice bernard is real wow and uh please shay Come up to us and and shoot us in the back of the neck. End our pain.
2: <laughs> I am here to announce that Jean Bernard Xavier Philippe de Marigny de Mandeville is in fact real. Oh, real man, Killer. I've
1: been here.
0: Yeah.
1: Yes, kill me. Yes, those were those were the rules. Execute me. Oh that feels so i i feel great Legend. i'm in cloud nine right you know what i'm i'm happy for you Luis. i feel like it's it was a rough season too for you i feel like you you needed a win i'm, I'm happy about Thank it you. and uh and like i said shay is a very formidable opponent on uh lying to us so i don't i don't at all feel bad about missing it but shay you told us there was some truth in both stories let's let's first start with what was the the truth in the false story
2: in the false story well it totally is true that comus was protestant like all of the names that i used were real that poet guy was a real guy but I don't know if he was involved in like Mardi Gras culture or not he was a French Creole poet <laughs> Nice, but like the story of the tension of the situation that rose like of, of the, the setting of New Orleans and the way these people felt about each other was true. But the way that I had it culminate was false.
0: Okay. But mm. Comus
2: did totally like reinvent parading, flambeau, all that stuff, but everything else was a fiction.
1: Nice. Now now that I'm thinking about it, because either it was going to be that you had a lot of fun coming up with all the many names of those people, or you had a lot of fun learning the many names of those people, or was this information that you've long known? Maybe in like, like fifth grade in Louisiana, they're like, yeah, you got to learn about all these people
2: i know of him as bernard de marini but my i actually i got the tip of this story from my brother my brother tijac uh told me that bernard had a lot more going on than i might think and i think he knew because one of our family friends is a descendant of bernard which is how i knew he had Mm. children uh i can actually talk a little bit about so his family name is Philippe de marini de mandeville uh i forget the exact Term, I think it's called like an appellate whenever a name becomes mm. like a title that you have. Right. But de Marigny de Mandeville, uh, those refer to two different um, estates that his family own in France. To specify, like this is this is the Philips of De Marini and Mandeville, and not the Philips of these other places. You
1: gotta show off the land owning, dude. Come on. Yeah.
2: So, like in a in a place like Europe where land is so important, um, especially at this time, and you're still like all of the people who have money are related to each other. Like all of the people who might own any land. Mm. Like there are many different Philippe's who all own land, and so this is how you specify which one you are from the other ones. Interesting is the de this to that, like with the names of the actual estates to know like days of like this is the one of this place this is the one of that place etc and it becomes like an appellate that's part of your name and gets passed on wow
1: i can't believe this guy didn't get elected governor after all this like what more did he need to do you know i
2: don't think there had been a louisiana governor like since the purchase i'd have to like double check but he even had like a famous quote that was basically like there will not be another louisianian in the louisiana governor seat until there are no more men in virginia
1: Wow! Interesting. Was like
2: what was his statement about it? Wow!
1: It
0: actually still still holds true to this day.
1: <laughs> so so knowing how it all turned out, then Shay, and given that it's a true story, do you think he should have pursued the playing craps and and inventing horse racing gambling aspect of his life? Do you think he would have had a better time? I don't know, inventing the casino scene of New Orleans.
2: Well, he definitely he definitely did pursue it. You know what I'm like? He he created new methods of gambling, new ways for people People to gamble, new ways for people to gamble with him.
1: Yeah, that's true. He
2: made a whole horse track. He made a whole horse track and started breeding horses and started having like races in Louisiana to attract good jockeys and people to like come have an event there. I
1: like this man. I guess the problem is he was getting high on his own supply. So it's, it's really true what I said before. Good thing he didn't have yeah. ready free access to cocaine. Very
2: true. Very true.
0: <laughs> I, I'm happy. I, I'm still. I'm still on this high. It feels all right. You're riding it. I'm riding it. <laughs> well, with that, that brings us to the end of the show thank you so much shay for sharing your stories did you get them right? Did you get them wrong? Are you going to be celebrating like I am right now? Because I'll be celebrating for a good long while after this because of this mm. victory. And laugh in the face of Kurt. Aww. Please let us know whatever the case is. If you want to make fun of Kurt directly, you can find us on social media. We are at Unbelievable Pod. That's on Instagram. And on Twitter, we are at unbelievablepc. You can find us wherever you find your podcast. And now also broadcasting on 88.7 f FM, WLUW, through Chicago Airwaves, so stay tuned to that every Sunday at 11 a.m. If you want to leave a review, do so. If you don't, okay. So be it. Do you. We'll live with that. So thank you once again so much, Shay, for coming on to the show.
1: I hope you had some fun. We certainly did. Thank
2: you so much for having me. I love talking about Louisiana. (laughs) Great place.
1: Big thank you to Shay. Big thank you to all our listeners. And remember, everyone, if you're going to try to crash a Mardi Gras ball, don't be fruity about it. It'll backfire. (laughs) Bye, y'all. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Um.